Section eleven of A Tale of a Tub by Jonathan Swift. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Tale of a Tub. After so wide a compass as I have wandered, I do now gladly overtake and close in with my subject, and shall henceforth hold on with it an even pace to the end of my journey, except some beautiful prospect appears within sight of my way, whereof, though at present I have neither warning nor expectation, yet upon such as accident come when it will, I shall beg my reader's favour and company, allowing me to conduct him through it along with myself. For in writing it is as in travelling. If a man is in haste to be at home, while well, I acknowledge to be none of my case, having never so little business as when I am there, if his horse be tired with long riding and ill ways, or be naturally a jade, I advise him clearly to make the straightest and the commonest road, be it ever so dirty. But then surely he must own such a man to be a scurvy companion at best. He splatters himself and his fellow travellers at every step. All their thoughts and wishes and conversation turn entirely upon the subject of their journey's end, and at every splash and plunge and stumble they heartily wish one another at the devil, on the other side when a traveller and his horse are in heart and plight, when his purse is full, and the day before him he takes the road only where it is clean or convenient entertains his company there as agreeably as he can but upon the first occasion carries them along with him to every delightful scene in view whether of art of nature or of both and if they chance to refuse out of stupidity or weariness let them jog on by themselves and be damned he'll overtake them at the next town at which arriving he rides furiously through the men women and children run out to gaze a hundred noisy curs run barking after him, of which if he honours the boldest with a lash of his whip, tis rather out of sport than revenge. But should some sour mongrel dare too near an approach, he receives a salute on the chaps by an accidental stroke from the courser's heels, nor is any ground lost by the blow which sends him yelping and limping home. I now proceed to sum up the singular adventures of my renowned jack the state of whose dispositions and fortunes the careful reader does no doubt most exactly remember as i last parted with him in the conclusion of a former section therefore his next care must be from two of the foregoing to extract a scheme of notions that may best fit his understanding for a true relish of what is to ensue jack had not only calculated the first revolution of his brain so prudently as to give rise to that epidemic sect of aeolists but succeeding also into a new and strange variety of conceptions the fruitfulness of his imagination led him into certain notions which although in appearance very accountable were not without their mysteries and their meanings nor wanted followers to countenance and improve them I shall therefore be extremely careful and exact in recounting such material passages of this nature as I have been able to collect, either from undoubted tradition or indefatigable reading, and shall describe them as graphically as it is possible, and as far as notions of that height and latitude can be brought within the compass of a pen. Nor do I at all question, but they will furnish plenty of noble matter for such whose converting imaginations dispose them to reduce all things into types who can make shadows, no thanks to the sun, and then mould them into substances, no thanks to philosophy, whose peculiar talent lies in fixing tropes and allegories to the letter, and refining what is literal into figure and mystery. 
Jack had provided a fair copy of his father's will, engrossed in form upon a large skin of parchment, and resolving to act the part of a most dutiful son, he became the fondest creature of it imaginable. For although, as I have often told the reader, it consisted wholly in certain plain, easy directions about the management and wearing of their coats with legacies and penalties in case of obedience or neglect, yet he began to entertain a fancy that the matter was deeper and darker, and therefore must needs have a great deal more of mystery at the bottom. Gentlemen, said he, I will prove this very skin of parchment to be meat, drink, and cloth, to be the philosopher's stone and the universal medicine in consequence of which raptures he resolved to make use of it in the most necessary as well as the most paltry occasions of life. He had a way of working it into any shape he pleased, so that it served him for a nightcap when he went to bed, and for an umbrella in rainy weather. He would lap a piece of it about a sore toe, or, when he had fits, burn two inches under his nose, or, if anything lay heavy on his stomach, scrape off and swallow as much of the powder as would lie in a silver penny. They were all infallible remedies. With analogy to these refinements, his common talk and conversation ran wholly in the praise of his will, and he circumscribed the utmost of his eloquence within that compass, not daring to let slip a syllable without authority from thence. Once at a strange house, he was suddenly taken short upon an urgent juncture, whereon it may not be allowed too particularly to dilate, and being not able to call to mind, without suddenness the occasion required, an authentic phrase for demanding the way to the back, he chose rather as the more prudent course to incur the penalty at such cases usually annexed. Neither was it possible for the united rhetoric of mankind to prevail with him to make himself clean again because having consulted the will upon this emergency he met with a passage near the bottom whether foisted in by the transcriber is not known which seemed to forbid it he made it a part of his religion never to say grace to his meat nor could all the world persuade him as the common phrase is to eat his victuals like a christian he bore a strange kind of appetite to snap dragon and to the livid snuffs of a burning candle which he would catch and swallow with an agility wonderful to conceive, and by this procedure maintained a perpetual flame in his belly, which issuing in a glowing steam from both his eyes as well as his nostrils and his mouth, made his head appear in a dark night like the skull of an ass wherein a roguish boy hath conveyed a farthing candle, to the terror of his majesty's liege subjects. Therefore he made use of no other expedient to light himself home, but was wont to say that a wise man was his own lantern. He would shut his eyes as he walked along the streets, and if he happened to bounce his head against a post or fall into the kennel, as he seldom missed either to do one or both, he would tell the jibing apprentices who looked on that he submitted with entire resignation as to a trip or a blow of fate with whom he found by long experience how vain it was either to wrestle or to cuff, and whoever durst undertake to do either would be sure to come off with a swinging fall or a bloody nose. It was ordained, said he, some few days before the creation, that my nose and this very post should have a rencounter, and therefore Providence thought fit to send us both into the world in the same age, and to make us countrymen and fellow-citizens. Now, had my eyes been open, it is very likely the business might have been a great deal worse, 
for how many a confounded slip is daily got by a man with all his foresight about him besides the eyes of the understanding see best when those of the senses are out of the way and therefore blind men are observed to tread their steps with much more caution and conduct and judgment than those who rely with too much confidence upon the virtue of the visual nerve which every little accident shakes out of order and a drop or a film can wholly disconcert like a lantern among a pack of roaring bullies when they scour the streets exposing its owner and itself to outward kicks and buffets which both might have escaped if the vanity of appearing would have suffered them to walk in the dark but further if we examine the conduct of these boasted lights it will prove yet a great deal worse than their fortune it is true i have broke my nose against this post because providence either forgot or did not think it convenient to twitch me by the elbow and give me notice to avoid it but let not this encourage either the present age of posterity to trust their noses unto the keeping of their eyes which may prove the fairest way of losing them for good and all for o ye eyes ye blind guides miserable guardians are ye of our frail noses ye i say who fasten upon the first precipice in view and then tow our wretched willing bodies after you to the very brink of destruction but alas that brink is rotten our feet slip and we tumble down prone into a gulf without one hospitable shrub in the way to break the fall a fall to which not any nose of mortal make is equal except that of the giant lord salso who was the lord of the silver bridge most properly therefore o eyes and with great justice may you be compared to those foolish lights which conduct men through dirt and darkness till they fall into a deep pit or a noisome bog this i have produced as a scantling of jack's great eloquence and the force of his reasoning upon such abstruse matters he was besides a person of great design and improvement in affairs of devotion having introduced a new deity who has since met with a vast number of worshippers by some called babel by others chaos who had an ancient temple of gothic structure upon salisbury plain famous for its shrine and celebration by pilgrims when he had some roguish trick to play he would down with his knees up with his eyes and fall to prayers though in the midst of the kennel then it was that those who understood his pranks would be sure to get far enough out of his way and whenever curiosity attracted strangers to laugh or to listen he would of a sudden bespatter them with mud in winter he went always loose and unbuttoned and clad as thin as possible to let in the ambient heat and in summer lapped himself close and thick to keep it out in all revolutions of government he would make his court for the office of hangman general and in the exercise of that dignity wherein he was very dexterous would make use of no other visit than a long prayer he had a tongue so musculous and subtile that he would twist it up into his nose and deliver a strange kind of speech from thence he was also the first in these kingdoms who began to improve the spanish accomplishment of braying and having large ears perpetually exposed and erected he carried his art to such a perfection that it was a point of great difficulty to distinguish either by the view or the sound between the original and the copy he was troubled with a disease the reverse to that called the stinging of the tarantula and would run dog mad at the noise of music especially a pair of bagpipes but he would cure himself again by taking two or three turns in westminster hall or billingsgate or in a boarding school or the royal exchange or a state coffee-house 
He was a person that feared no colours, but mortally hated all, and upon that account bore a cruel aversion to painters, insomuch that in his paroxysms as he walked the streets he would have his pockets loaded with stones to pelt at the signs. Having from his manner of living frequent occasions to wash himself, he would often leap over head and ears into the water, though it were in the midst of the winter, but was always observed to come out again much dirtier, if possible, than he went in. He was the first that ever found out the secret of contriving a soporiferous medicine to be conveyed in at the ears. It was a compound of sulphur and balm of Gilead with a little pilgrim salve. He wore a large plaster of artificial caustics on his stomach, with the fervour of which he could set himself a groaning like the famous board upon application of a red-hot iron. He would stand in the turning of a street, and calling to those who passed by, would cry to one, Worthy sir, do me the honour of a good slap in the chaps to another honest friend. Pray favour me with a handsome kick in the rear. Madam, shall I entreat a small box in the ear from your ladyship's fair hands? Noble captain, lend a reasonable thwack, for the love of God, with that cane of yours over these poor shoulders. And when he had by such earnest solicitations made a shift to procure a basting sufficient to swell up his fancy and his sides, he would return home extremely comforted and full of terrible accounts of what he had undergone for the public good. Observe this stroke, said he, showing his bare shoulders. A plaguy janitory gave it me this very morning at seven o'clock, as with much ado I was driving off the great turf. Neighbours mine, this broken head deserves a plaster. Had poor Jack been tender of his noddle, you would have seen the Pope and the French King long before this time of day among your wives and your warehouses. Dear Christians, the great mogul was come as far as Whitechapel, and you may thank these poor sides that he hath not, God bless us, already swallowed up man, woman, and child. It was highly worth observing the singular effects of that aversion or antipathy which Jack and his brother Peter seemed, even to affectation, to bear towards each other. Peter had lately done some rogueries that forced him to abscond, and he seldom ventured to stow out before night for fear of bailiffs. Their lodgings were at the two most distant parts of the town from each other, and whenever their occasions or humours called them abroad, they would make choice of the oddest unlikely times and most uncouth rounds that they could invent, that they might be sure to avoid one another. Yet after all this it was their perpetual fortune to meet, the reason of which is easy enough to apprehend, for the frenzy and the spleen of both having the same foundation, we may look upon them as two pair of compasses, equally extended, and the fixed foot of each remaining in the same centre, which, though moving contrary ways at first, will be sure to encounter somewhere or other in the circumference. Besides, it was among the great misfortunes of Jack to bear a huge personal resemblance with his brother, Peter. Their humour and dispositions were not only the same, but there was a close analogy in their shape, their size, and their mien, insomuch as nothing was more frequent than for a bailiff to seize Jack by the shoulders and cry, Mr. Peter, you were the king's prisoner at other times for one of Peter's nearest friends to accost Jack with open arms. Dear Peter, I am glad to see thee. Pray send me one of your best medicines for the worms. This, we may suppose, was a mortifying return of those pains and proceedings Jack had laboured in so long, and finding how directly opposite all his endeavours had answered to the sole end and intention which he had proposed to himself, how could it avoid having terrible effects upon a head and heart 
so furnished as his. However, the poor remainders of his coat bore all the punishment. The Orient sun never entered upon his diurnal progress without missing a piece of it. He hired a tailor to stitch up the collar so close that it was ready to choke him, and squeezed out his eyes at such a rate as one could see nothing but the white. What little was left of the main substance of the coat he rubbed every day for two hours against a rough-cast wall in order to grind away the remnants of lace and embroidery, but at the same time went on with so much violence that he preceded a heathen philosopher, yet after all he could do of this kind, the success continued still to disappoint his expectation, for as it is the very nature of rags to bear a kind of mock resemblance to finery, there being a sort of fluttering appearance in both, which it is not to be distinguished at a distance in the dark, or by short-sighted eyes. So in those junctures it fared with Jack and his tatters, that they offered to the very first view a ridiculous flaunting, which, assisting the resemblance in person, an air thwarted all his projects of separation, and left so near a similitude between them as frequently deceived the very disciples and followers of both descent nonula the old sclavonian proverb said well that it is with men as with asses whoever could keep them fast must find a very good hold at their ears yet i think we may affirm and hath been verified by repeated experience that fugiet tamen hayek scleratus vincula proteus it is good therefore to read the maxims of our ancestors with great allowances in times and persons for if we look into primitive records we shall find that no revolutions have been so great or so frequent as those of human ears in former days there was a curious invention to catch and keep them which i think we may justly reckon among the artes perditae and how can it be otherwise when in these lesser centuries the very species is not only diminished to a very lamentable degree, but the poor remainder is also degenerated so far as to mock our skilfullest tenure. For if only the slitting of one ear in a stag hath been found sufficient to propagate the defect through a whole forest, why should we wonder at the greatest consequences from so many loppings and mutilations to which the ears of our fathers and our own have been of late so much exposed? It is true indeed that while this island of ours was under the domain of grace, many endeavours were made to improve the growth of ears once more among us. The proportion of largeness was not only looked upon as an ornament of the outward man, but as a type of grace in the inward. Besides, it is held by naturalists that if there be a protuberancy of parts in the superior region of the body, as in the ears and nose, there must be a parity also in the inferior and therefore in that truly pious age the males in every assembly according as they were gifted appeared very forward in exposing their ears to view and the regions about them because hippocrates tells us that when the vein behind the ear happens to be cut a man becomes a eunuch the females were nothing backward in beholding and edifying by them whereof those who had already used the means looked about them with great concern in hopes of conceiving a suitable offspring by such a prospect others who stood candidates for benevolence found their plentiful choice and were sure to fix upon such as discovered the largest ears that the breed might not dwindle between them lastly the devouter sisters who looked upon all extraordinary dilations of that member as protrusions of zeal 
or spiritual excrescences were sure to honour every head they sat upon as if they had been cloven tongues but especially those of the preacher whose ears were usually of the prime magnitude which upon that account he was very frequent and exact in exposing with all advantages to the people in his rhetorical paroxysms turning sometimes to hold forth the one and sometimes to hold forth the other from which custom the whole operation of preaching is to this very day among their professors styled by the phrase of holding forth such was the progress of the saints for advancing the size of that member and it is thought the success would have been every way answerable if in process of time a cruel king had not arose who raised a bloody persecution against all ears above a certain standard upon which some were glad to hide their flourishing sprouts in a black border others crept wholly under a periwig some were slit others cropped and a great number sliced off to the stumps but of this more hereafter in my general history of ears which i design very speedily to bestow upon the public from this brief survey of the falling state of ears in the last age and the small care had to advance the ancient growth in the present it is manifest how little reason we can have to rely upon a hold so short so weak and so slippery and that whoever desires to catch mankind fast must have recourse to some other methods now that he will examine human nature with circumspection enough may discover several handles whereof the six senses afford one apiece beside a great number that are screwed to the passions and some few riveted to the intellect among these last curiosity is one and of all others affords the firmest grasp curiosity that spur in the side that bridle in the mouth that ring in the nose of a lazy and impatient and a grunting reader by this handle it is that an author should seize upon his readers which as soon as he hath once compassed all resistance and struggling are in vain and they become his prisoners as close as he pleases till weariness or dullness force him to let go his grip and therefore i the author of this miraculous treatise having hitherto beyond expectation maintained by the aforesaid handle a firm hold upon my gentle readers it is with great reluctance that i am at length compelled to remit my grasp leaving them in the perusal of what remains to that natural ossetancy inherent in the tribe i can only assure thee courteous reader for both our comforts that my concern is altogether equal to thine for my unhappiness in losing or mislaying among my papers the remaining part of these memoirs which consisted of accidents turns and adventures both new agreeable and surprising and therefore calculated in all due points to the delicate taste of this our noble age but alas with my utmost endeavours i have been able only to retain a few of the heads under which there was a full account how peter got a protection out of the king's bench and of a reconcilement between jack and him upon a design they had in a certain rainy night to trepan brother martin into a sponging-house and there strip him to the skin how martin with much ado showed them both a fair pair of heels how a new warrant came out against peter upon which jack left him in the lurch stole his protection and made use of it himself how jack's tatters came into fashion in court and city how he got upon a great horse and ate custard but the particulars of all these with several others which have now slid out of my memory are lost beyond all hopes of recovery 
for which misfortune, leaving my readers to condole with each other as far as they shall find it to agree with their several constitutions, but conjuring them by all the friendship that has passed between us, from the title page to this, not to proceed so far as to injure their health for an accident past remedy, I now go on to the ceremonial part of an accomplished writer, and therefore by a courtly modern least of all others to be omitted. End of section 11